You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. So, question. I've kind of been beginning these with questions, so here's another question. Have you had to make major decisions in your life, but before you said yes, you had to check the boxes to make sure it's the right decision? It might be something small, like, I need a new lawnmower. I need it to be 26 inches. I need an electric start. Check. I need it to mulch check or might be something more serious like where am I going to go to college I need this type of major I don't want to be too far from home but too close either all of those little lot of check marks when you're making that decision Major, major decision when you buy a home, right? Major decision. Has to have some check marks. I want an open floor plan. I want a big yard, or maybe you want a small yard. I want multiple garages. What check marks would you need before you purchased your dream home? Maybe your dream home would look like one of these houses. That's a nice house. I'm not sure if I see any garages, but it sure has a nice front yard. Very nice landscaping, or maybe like this house. Oh, multiple garages, big old driveway. I don't think I'm gonna be shoveling that driveway though. That might be a check mark. I don't wanna shovel snow. That's a nice house, beautiful landscaping. But, For me, it's not necessarily the house, it's the location of the house. It's the location. So if I had to pick my dream house, there would be two check marks that had to be checked. Does anyone want to guess where that location might be? There's one of them, fishing, and what's the other one? My new hobby, golfing. So you might... Be in a lake and catch the biggest bass of your life. That's the biggest bass I've ever caught in my life. 24 and a half inch bass. That was a good day. Or how about my first ever birdie? 13 months ago, Tim Weinrich convinced me to go golfing with him in North Bend. And once I got that birdie on the second hole, it's been over since. I'm never home. So, if I can move someplace with a lake and go bass fishing and buy a golf course right across the street, everything will be perfect, right? Right? First tee shot, pull it left right into the water. 
We'll just tee it up, right? We'll tee up it. Second one, slice it right into the corn bins. Now I'm hitting five. Three-foot putt for birdie. This will be easy. Whoop. Slides to the left. But a lake, fishing, that'll be perfect, right? Right? Boat doesn't start. $15 Rapala. First cast. Oh, hooked on something. Whoops, snapped. Maybe not so perfect. Maybe not so perfect. I thought I had the boxes checked, though. I thought I had the all the boxes checked, and it's not perfect? Hmm. So what does this have to do with that scripture reading we read from Philippians today? Well, the Apostle Paul had all of the boxes checked. He was the perfect Hebrew. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was on his way to earning his salvation through keeping the law. Right? Right? That all changed when he had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's there where he had a, he had a new mission presented to him. Instead of stringing up and arresting Christians, he was going to lead Christians. I think we need to go back and read that Philippians verse, at least the first part of it, because I think it is a little, has a little bit different meaning now. So let's go back to that. So if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, check, of the people of Israel, check. A Hebrew of Hebrews, check. As to the law, a Pharisee, yep, he was a Pharisee, check. As to zeal, a persecutor, a, a persecutor of the church, he persecuted Christians. But that was a check mark for him. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was blameless because he kept that law. He kept that law. He was blameless. But blameless? Righteous under the law? Hebrew of Hebrews? Well, that was Paul. That was Paul. But then Jesus got a hold of his heart, didn't he? The Hebrew of Hebrews had a little meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I think it's worth going back so we understand where Paul came from. Okay? So this Hebrew of Hebrews on his way to Damascus. And the reason he was going to Damascus is because he knew the disciples were there. And he was ready to arrest them all. Let's just get rid of this movement. So on the way to Damascus to capture Hebrews, the disciples, anyone had anything to do with Christianity, he's going to take them back to Jerusalem. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. 
and asked him for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, now the way is how Christians described their new faith, okay? It was the way, okay? Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's going to go hunting for Christians. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What a moment. What a moment. So now he's blind. He can't see. And the people with him led him to Damascus. Where he was blind for how many days? Who remembers? Not one, not two days, three days. Amen. For three days, he was blind. And while he was suffering, not knowing what in the world just happened to him, God talked to a man, a man named Ananias. And he told Ananias, uh, there's, there's this guy named Saul, because his name wasn't Paul yet. There's this guy named Saul. And you need to go lay your hands on him so that he's not blind anymore. Ananias didn't want to do it. Because Ananias was a Christian. And he knew all about this Saul guy. Why in the world would he put himself in harm's way? But God convinces him. Ananias goes and finds Saul right where he told him he was going to be. He lays his hands on Saul, and what happens to his eyes? Something falls off. Scales. Scales. And now he can see. And now he can see. So Paul, who is later named Paul, has an experience that we can't hardly believe. He sees things totally different. The old way of doing things, being the Hebrew of Hebrews, is not going to get it done from this point forward. The old way to salvation is completely gone. Just like the scales that were gone from his eyes. He had to be blinded by the light so that he could see. He had to be blinded by the light so that he could see. Now he sees clearly that the salvation is through faith in the resurrected Jesus. And in him alone, the light of the world. There was a new way, and he didn't waste time telling everyone who would listen either. Go ahead and go to that slide. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. 
just days earlier, he was ready to destroy the Christians. And now he is transformed into someone who's not only an apostle, he, he's like the apostle of apostles. He wrote, did you realize he wrote almost 70% of the New Testament? This same persecutor of Christians? You see, Paul's conversion, he realized immediately that all he had known was useless. His old law-abiding ways didn't check any of the boxes any longer. Jesus is the only way to salvation. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All of the things that he had his boxes checked for were rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's a guy who thought he had all the boxes checked. With Jesus in his heart, he realized that actually he didn't have the one box checked that really mattered. His faith in his Lord and in his Savior. That is where his hope is found and nothing else. So what about us? Where is our hope found? Sometimes our hope is found in the world, isn't it? But unfortunately, when our hope is in the world, most of the time we're disappointed. Even when something looks perfect, like all the boxes are checked, it still sometimes doesn't work out. As fellow Nebraskans, something happened on December 2nd, 2017, that gave hope to all Husker Nation. What happened? Scott Frost was hired. There he is on the day he was hired. He still has his red tie on. He's looking good. He's smiling. He was smiling. But he had all of the boxes checked, didn't he? Look at all the boxes that he had checked. Let's see, he grew up in Nebraska, check. He played for Nebraska, check. He won a national championship as quarterback for Nebraska, check. He understood Nebraska football and passion of the fans, check. Boosters and former players were behind him 100%. Remember all the hundreds of players that were in the weight room welcoming him that day? He played in the NFL where he learned from some of the best coaches, check. He was an assistant coach under um, amazing head coaches, check. Keeps going, he coached a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Marcus Mariota from Oregon. His teams could score points. He had an offensive system. At that time, we weren't scoring many points. We're still not scoring very many points. But most importantly, he had a successful track record. He was 13-0 the year before he came to Nebraska. 13-0, a perfect season. Man, he had all of the boxes checked, didn't he? That's a lot of boxes to check. We drank a lot of Kool-Aid, didn't we? Our hope was in Scott Frost. Right? 
right? Is our trust still in Scott Frost? Come on, Sloan. 15 and 29 doesn't give us much hope, though, does it? Oh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid again. We got a new offensive coordinator. We got a new quarterback. We got a new wide receivers coach. In Mickey Joseph, we trust, right? You see, when our trust is in the world, the world is going to let us down. Even when we think all of the boxes are checked, the world is going to let us down. Maybe you finally got the perfect job you always wanted. And then you start working, it's like, mm, maybe this isn't everything I dreamed about. Maybe your hope is in your grandkids or your kids' accomplishments. That never happens, does it? Maybe, maybe your hope is in a sports star. Maybe your hope is in a movie star. Maybe your hope is in your spouse. Maybe your hope is in a best friend. But ultimately, we're always let down, aren't we? We're always let down. You ever get a, the perfect Christmas present? Then you play with it for a day and you're going, hmm, this wasn't maybe exactly what I hoped for. Yeah, we're going to get let down. Because no matter how many check boxes are checked, it will never be enough. You see, the Apostle Paul figured it out, didn't he? Yes, he had been the Hebrew of Hebrews, but then he figured out that he was actually the sinner of sinners. He was actually the sinner of sinners. There's only one hope. There's only one true hope. That hope is built in Christ alone. We just sang that. In Christ alone, right? We just sang that. There's such truth in the old Lutheran hymn, my hope is built on nothing less. So I'm going to challenge you this morning, a cappella, we're going to sing the first verse because it has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning. I hope we can get this started in the right key. Glenn helped us this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So who's our rock? And what's the world? Sinking sand. Paul understood this. He preached this message to all who would listen. And his inspired words are still talking to us today, aren't they? The same zeal, Z-E-A-L, zeal. It was in our lesson. The same zeal he used to persecute the early Christians and to uphold that law is the same zeal he used later to preach Christ crucified and more importantly, Christ resurrected. 
Zeal. It's kind of a funny word. Let's take a look at that definition. Great energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. You see, Paul's first cause was to stop the way. But a second cause is to support the way and to preach Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. Paul found a new cause. Actually, I think the new cause found him when you think about it. Jesus got a hold of Paul's heart and he never let go. Thanks be to God, he tugs at our hearts too, doesn't he? He tugs at our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we all share. That Spirit works faith in our hearts every hour, every minute, every second of the day. Paul had one goal, and that goal was realized because of the hope he had in Christ Jesus, and that alone. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about eternal life. The upward call. Paul understood, didn't he? He may have been the Hebrew of Hebrews, but that wasn't going to help him attain the new prize because he came to realize he was actually the sinner of sinners in a downward spiral to damnation. That was until Jesus got a hold of his heart. Then that downward spiral, it turned into an upward call to heaven. Now, he only had to check one box, and it's the only box that we need to check. Jesus. Amen.